Okay, we're live. You got it. Okay, we're going to read uh, Psalm 119, verse 161. Sin and shin, depending on the where the dot is. Yes, okay. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, O Lord, and I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. All right. Uh, sin and Shin, the difference is, it, I'm not very good at uh, writing even in English, but this is a, the character kind of looks like this. It looks like you're, anyway, let me do that again. You got that, and then you have a dot either here or here, and it, it, this would be uh, Shin, and this would be Sin, just depending on where the dot is. And so that's, that's why there's a difference. You got one character or one letter, and just the dot will tell you where and now when you read hebrew that dot won't be there um that's you know the masoretes added in all the dots to tell you what sounds were but you know that's just something added later and then eventually when you know hebrew you don't use the dots at all that's kind of like you know for training people or if you're looking at the bible you'll have these dots all over the place or dashes or whatever oh, it's like that's, resume resume should have a yeah a little a little thing on resume nobody, nobody does it because yeah so the question is this is your resume i presume right right <laughs> yeah there you go anyway um, yes now does has anybody seen pat simmons no. They were uh, in uh, Virginia. Home yeah, Virginia. Okay, because we haven't seen her, and I was wondering if she was sick. You know, she was. They took a trip to uh, be with a family member that part of it was to witness. So. Oh, okay, good, good. I'm glad that I just, you know, she was really sick for about a month, and I haven't seen her in a couple of weeks, and no, I, she's I, you know. All right. Good. I'm glad she's okay. Okay, um, a couple of things before we actually get into Romans today. The first is. And uh, it, this is something I'm saying now because there are people that don't attend this church, and there are also people in Sarasota that watch the study that don't come here. And so anybody that's in Sarasota, um, we've had requests over the years for music in the church, and I've always, you know, Lord will provide music when he provides music. And, um, you know, we've only had one, actually twice, we've had people play instruments here. And... Um, uh, I'll say this again Sunday during church, but if somebody knows a musician that wants to play at the church, and you know, if they charge, they charge, whatever, but it would be nice to have music if somebody's willing to do that. And if so, um, they must be a Christian. We're not getting into this thing where we hire people to play music that aren't Christians. I, I, I just. Have to vet them. What's that? Yes. You got to vet them. They have to. But if somebody knows somebody in Sarasota that says, hey, you know, I'll play at a church on Sunday morning, great. Yeah, do you have some problems with what we're doing now? Or? No, none at all. I'm just saying that people ask that from time to time. And so. I think it is too. But I, you know. It's a lot less hassle. I don't disagree. I'm just saying that I've, I've had the requests, and because of that, you know, I, I'm just putting it out there. If somebody wants to play and they want to be like a worship person, I know you do back up, and so that would be fine. Um, and we could play before, play after, whatever. It's not my thing. My thing is the Bible. If somebody wants a change in something, they have to be willing to say, well, here's the change, and this is how it's going to work, and, you know, it's going to benefit everybody. But I just wanted to bring that out because I've had that, and you know that. We've had that question brought up, 
and I don't want to make it look like I'm not trying to do something with the music. Changes small is not always do. What's that? Change no, is changes, it's not. And to me, I am perfectly I'm happy, happy with the way it is. I'm perfectly happy. But I just want to let people know that if somebody wants to play and they, they can do what uh, Paul did, yeah, it would be outstanding. But we don't need drums or anything. We're a very small church. And Okay, I said that. Um, now, the second thing is, I uh, got a letter, and I think it was you that recommended the church. And I got this, and I uh, asked if I could read this, because people online have this problem, too. And you wonder why we, teeny little church like this, has so many people that attend streaming online and watch the, the videos. This is why. And so uh, this is something that is important. It has nothing to do with the Bible study, but I think that you will understand why I'm reading it as I do. Hi, Charlie. Like I said, I'm not going to give the lady's name. We communicated a while last year when I emailed you of how I enjoyed your teaching and preaching online. I mentioned I couldn't find a church in Charlotte. Remember that? And uh, uh, that had correct doctrine and not gone into the Emergent Church League. Someone in your church told me to seek out the church on Jeremiah Boulevard, that it was the kind I was looking for. Nor Northside Baptist, was that you? Listen, what's happened? Tell me if this doesn't ring a bell, okay, as I'm reading. Founded by Jack Hudson, a fine independent fundamentalist Baptist church, now pastored by Dr. Joe Brown. <laughs> it was way across town from me, but I had someone show me the way, and I started going. I found a loving ladies' Sunday school, and I looked into the teaching and doctrines and joined. A couple months ago, I noticed some subtle changes in the uh, order of worship and the preaching. Instead of teaching the word, it was mostly stories and personal experiences, always ending in a very sad and tragic story, getting the congregation in tears and then take the offering and dismiss. Okay. Last Sunday, they started a new service called The Factory, geared toward the young people the whole congregation was asked to attend. They had transformed the sanctuary into a nightclub lookalike. Everything was black and very dark. Anybody recognize that one? Oh, yeah. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. They had black lights and red lights towards the stage upon which extremely loud rock band was playing in smoke-filled air from the smoking machine, our newest and youngest deacon, who has not been to seminary, but who is said to connect well with young people, has been elected and held uh, head deacon, put him completely in charge of this service. Um, Kind of worrisome there what it says about the Bible. Don't let somebody young and inexperienced go in, you know, and he gives the reason why. But anyway, um, let's see here. In charge of this, he has now been transformed into the likeness of Stephen Furtick, but with a long mohawk. They uh, have him dressed with black skin-tight jeans and high-top kids uh, without socks and same kinds of shirts. And I asked a long-time member about all this, and they said that the whole intention is to mimic some elevation church. I don't know who it is. Uh, and I got so shocked and upset, I got up and left the service, which wasn't easy. It was so dark, I bumped into someone I couldn't even see. Um, okay, oh, it goes on like this for a while, and um, uh, she asked for some advice. And so I gave her advice, and I said, you know, I just wanted to let you know that this is something that it's not unique to her. It's happened all over the place, is that I have no problem with appealing to people, uh, but I you don't change the church in order to appeal to people. You go out to them and you meet them on their level. But you don't need to change your level to their level, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. There's a point where you have to have decorum and you need to have honor in the presence of the Lord. And uh, I, I don't think that's a good way of doing that. And so now she is churchless again. Um, and it, it's a problem. And that's why people, you know, we have people that are in Ireland and Scotland. Poor Graham, we got to talk about him. Graham, who I mentioned each week, is not doing well again today. 
This week he was up, he was down, and I just read 28 minutes before uh, we turned this on. He's not doing well, so we want to keep him in prayer. And uh, so um, I just want to let you know that this is what's going on in the world, and people want the word. They want sound doctrine, and they want to feel like they're being fed. And uh, that's why I say if we're going to have music here, it's going to be something very simple. It's going to be something with a guitar and saying, like Paul had, it was beautiful service, and that's fine. But other than that, what we're doing is, is it's fine with me. As a matter of fact, I don't even personally need music. All I want is the word. But I know that some people want to be lifted up before they start and whatever. But as Jim has noted many times, if you want to upset somebody every single week, be the music person. Because there's always somebody that's not going to like the music that plays that week. Always. It's because everybody is different. Yep. And so my thought, my thought on music is that if you want to hear a certain type of music, when you get in your car, turn it on. You've got the CD player. Play what you want. Yep. You know, he yep. does a very good job and he tries hard to provide good music. But that's all has nothing to do with Charlie, the. Uh, do you yes. Think the seminaries have anything to do with? Where is this? If you want to be ruined, if you want to be ruined as a Christian that has a desire to be a preacher or a pastor or a uh, you know a. a some type of ministry person, if you want to be ruined, go to seminary. They will always ruin you. There's infighting, there is, there's backbiting, there are always professors in seminaries. It can be a great seminary. There's always one that's in there lurking, putting secret thoughts into people's minds, doubting the Word of God, tearing down the Word of God. Always, even in the best seminaries, you're going to find this. There's people that have an agenda. And of course, here's a problem. I have a seminary that I'm president of. I had a guy die in a car accident last week, and we need to replace him. And we don't have time. We it's going to take. We need to get a new Hebrew teacher in there, right? What do you do? You hire somebody. You got to get somebody in there. And eventually, this type of thing will happen, where you're going to get people. You're going to lower your standards in order to meet the needs because you have to pay the bills at the end of the month. This happened. What do you think happened to Harvard, Princeton, all of yeah. these? were theological seminaries started for the glory of God yeah. and to evangelize the world and to send missionaries out around the world. And now they don't teach anything except filth. Mm -hmm. It always happens. But if you want to be ruined, go to seminary and they will do it. What you need to do before you go to seminary is what I told that guy at Mission Work two weeks ago. He said, what do you suggest if I, I, I want to go to uh, a seminary to get into the ministry? I said, you read your Bible many, many, many times before you go into seminary many times and then if you think you've read it enough read it some more because that read it this way read it that way read it backwards read it forwards read because if you don't do that they will ruin you they will i've got a friend in texas that uh went to seminary and he loved the lord but he was destroyed he's carried that with him his whole life now because of that so it's it's just something that it, it, i if you want to be destroyed in your faith go to seminary Okay, that doesn't mean that everybody that goes to seminary is going to be destroyed in their faith because there are people that are grounded from youth, but there are some that are grounded from youth that walk away from the Lord in seminary, which is supposed to be a place where you cultivate new pastors. Okay, here's uh, one more thing, and then we'll get into Romans. This will take a few minutes, but last week we had that discussion on um, can you sin in heaven? What is the uh, healing of the nations for? I looked up the word, and I'm just going to throw this out before I read what I have here. It does not say the leaves are for the healing of the nations. It is not a verb. It is a noun. Okay? It, you always let Scripture interpret Scripture. The exact same verse is in the book of Ezekiel, or the same concept. The leaves along the side of the river, and it says they're for medicine. 
And that is what he is saying in the New Testament. It, you could say the healer, the healer of nations, the leaves are, but the healer is medicine. That's what we use. So I want you to know that is that if it says the leaves are for the healing of the nations, that's not correct. It's a noun. Anyway, that's just a side issue. Um, I am in complete agreement that there will not be sin in heaven. Okay. But my question is, how does that come about? There, the reason why is, and we talked about this, is we are not God. We, and this is something, I don't want to leave anybody that watched last week hanging as to where is the answer. Um, we are not God. Anything that is not God is susceptible to fault. That doesn't mean they're going to fault, but they are susceptible to fault. Okay? So, I want to read you what the, the sermon that I uh, did on this, and it's a much longer sermon. If you want to watch it, you, I think you'll enjoy it. It's uh, Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6, and it's entitled, Who is the Liar? Okay? How did Satan fall? If God made everything good, if God made everything perfect, how can there be fault in the world, right? That's a question that we all have. And this, it, it sounds like it's a, a distraction from Romans, but it's not because it's actually something that Paul talks about in the pages ahead in Romans, especially in 6 and 7, which I cite in that sermon. I'm not going to talk about it here, I don't think. But how can there be fault in the world if God is perfect and everything he made is perfect. And so this will give you a very limited, it's not the whole sermon, it's just a, a you know a page and a half. It'll give you a very limited look at how this can happen. And then after that, I'll talk about what I believe it will be like in heaven, but I could be wrong, okay? We don't know yet, we're not there. But here we go. This is just a portion of that sermon. There is evil in the world. This we all know very well, okay? The question is, why? Did God lose control of things or did God cause the evil, right? If either one of these is the case, then we are at the arbitrary failings of an inconsistent creator. Wouldn't you agree with that? If God lost control of things, or if he uh, uh, allowed cause, if he caused the evil, then we have a real problem. Augustine, which a lot of people wouldn't like me quoting Augustine, I don't care. I don't care where truth comes from. If something is true, it doesn't matter. That's called the uh, um, uh, source fallacy. Well, he said that, and I don't like Martin Luther, and so I'm not going to listen to it. If Martin Luther said something that's true, quote it, okay? Augustine said there is no possible source of evil except good. Evil exists, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. God is good. He's the source of all things. There is no possible source of evil except good. <coughs> evil is simply what is evil. Somebody tell me. A lack of good. A lack of good. It is an absence of good. That's all it is. I'll give you an example just so you can understand. There's a car, this is a beautiful shiny car, and then, well, I think I did this in this class before. You get a little bit of spot because of the salt on it and it corrodes through and there's a hole. What is it? It's a lack of metal. It's a lack of a good thing. We would call it evil. It's a lack of what should be there or which should be in a better condition than it is. And that's the same thing with sin as it is with the rust hole in a car, okay? so. Evil is simply an absence of good, and this only comes from something else drawing it out of the good state that it was originally in. Something else draws it out of the good state it's in, because God created man good. He created uh, the devil, or we would call him the serpent at the time. He created, he created him good, and somehow he fell, okay? God created it good, though. All things were good when he was done with creation, okay? But... Whatever draws it out of the good state is something else that is good as well. Had to be good because God created everything good. 
because as Thomas Aquinas says, only good can be a cause. Think it through and you'll understand it. You gotta go to bed at night and think this through. Because nothing can be a cause except inasmuch as it is a being. And every being as such is good. God created all beings good. So you have another good being that draws something evil out. There's a lack, okay? What he means is that nothing can cause something unless it is a being and that every being God created was good at its creation. When we understand that, we see that good does not cause evil, which is contrary to itself. Instead, it causes some other evil. Now, I talked about that last week, and I'll, I'll get to it again here before we're done. In the case of the devil, he was created good. He had to be. God is good, and he created all things good. Okay. However, something else which drew good, uh, which something else which was good, drew the evil out of him. Okay. What good could draw out evil from the devil? That's the question. He's created good. God created him good. What good could? Are we talking about a personality trait, or what could be anything? There's something right. that God. There you go. Pride. Pride. Okay. Perfect answer. That's a perfect answer. He created the devil good, his beauty was good, and yet he got pride in his beauty. Okay, so there is something that God did not cause, and yet it's something secondary to what he has created. Okay, the answer is found in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, 28. Okay, now I'm not going to quote those right now, but one of them is speaking of the king of Babylon. One of them is speaking of the king of Tyre. But the premise that he is speaking of in these two fits what happened to the devil. If you read Isaiah 14, where it talks about, um, uh, you know, anyway, won't get into it, but go read those passages, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 20. We'd be here for the whole sermon or uh, service today if I was to read these and analyze them. But we'll go on. The Bible says in 1 John 5, verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. How did this come about and fit into God's plan without God being the author of evil. He didn't author evil, we know that, so how did that happen? In order to understand, we need to grasp what Thomas Aquinas wrote in the 13th century. He said, and this is gonna be a little hard to understand, but try to follow, evil never follows in the effect unless some other evil pre-exists in the agent or in the matter. But in voluntary things, the defect of the action comes from the will actually deficient inasmuch as it does not actually subject itself to its proper rule. This defect, however, is not a fault, and that's what I talked about last week. It's not a fault, but fault follows upon it from the fact that the will acts with this defect. That is an amazing statement that he said, and I know it's hard to understand. It's a lot of words, and that's why last week I kept saying, I don't want to talk about this now. It's because I haven't done that sermon in almost six years, and it takes very precise wording in order to make a, a statement like this. And so you don't want to just jump ahead and get, and that's why all my sermons are typed in their entirety. Then anybody that wants to watch them, they can read them and watch them, or they can just read them or they can just watch them. But I am very precise. I don't want it stray from God's word or from an analysis of it, okay? This is all online, you can read this, and I'm gonna tell you what that means. Whether you got it or not, that's a very profound statement from Aquinas. In the Bible, in the book of Romans, which we're in right now, bears it out. The defect of the action, as Aquinas says, in this case, the eating of the fruit, it's a defect in the action. They were told not to eat the fruit, and if they did, that would be a defect in the action, okay? 
in the case is the eating of the fruit, which is the defect of the action, comes from the will actually deficient. Now, what does that mean? We were made with free will. We were made with free will. Uh, next week, I'm going to close off the Table Talk magazine uh, from this month, and so I will bring it in next week, and I'll read you some of the things about exactly this here to show you how stealthy Reformed theology is and Calvinism is in saying you don't have free will in order to believe, and yet they, they make a category mistake from one paragraph to the next, and if, unless you're looking for it, you don't. You say, oh, well, they must be right, and yet if you follow carefully, and I'll show you that next week, but we'll get, get away from that. We were created with free will. We have free will, and that is the answer to the dilemma we're in. It says, in the case of the eating the fruit, which is a defect of the action, comes from the will actually deficient. What was deficient in Adam and uh, the woman? The will. It was a lack of knowledge of good and evil. They didn't have that. Is that God's fault? No. It's not his fault. He created them perfect as they were, but they lacked the knowledge of good and evil. They were in a state of innocence. But was it God's fault? No, Aquinas says it is deficient in as much as it does not actually subject itself to proper rule. What was the proper rule constating their state of concerning their state of innocence? It was to obey the Creator and not to eat the fruit. He, get, he put the fruit there. You can eat of any. Now, what he could have done, now think of this. He could have not had that fruit there for them. He could have had the tree so high they couldn't get to it, or he could put thorns on the tree so they couldn't climb to it. He gave them the option, knowing that they would fall and knowing that they must fall. But, because, but go then ahead. If, it, if, if they could not possibly, then it would not be free will. It's no, a, no, no. There would be free will. Well, I, but, okay, I, well, I want to fly. But well, that's right. Like, you, know, you, you have free will to fly. You I just can't that. do it. Right. And that would take away the defect of the action. Okay, you see what I'm saying? So and you're not exercising your free will. You, you, well, you're, yeah, in, in their state, now think of this, because Jesus said, and I don't want to get too far away from what we're talking about here, but Jesus said that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already, already committed adultery. That's right, you've already sinned. Okay, now R.C. Sproul, and I brought this up before, and you'll remember it when I say it, R.C. Sproul says, well, that means they fell before the fall, because they saw the fruit, and they wanted the fruit before they ate the fruit, and therefore they fell before the fall. No, why? Because they were in innocence. They didn't know the ramifications of it. They did not have the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't fall before the fall. And that's why he's a denier of free will because he's not thinking this through. They're in a state of innocence. They don't know what it means to sin. And they're told something that is, who is the liar? He steps in and he says, did God say this? And he twisted things around just <laughs> enough, like he tried to do with Jesus on the, the, the uh, mountain after he was uh, in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus knew the tricks of the devil and he knew how to sidestep them. They didn't. So they are not at fault in that sense, but they are in fault because they were told not to do something and they did do it. So let's, let's go on from there. And was it God's fault? No. Okay. What was the proper rule? Innocence was to obey their creator and not eat the fruit. When they disobeyed by using their free will, was it because of a fault in them as created by God? No, it is not a fault, according to Aquinas, but fa fault follows upon it from the fact that the will, meaning their free will, acts with this defect. It's not God's fault that they have free will, but they, have, uh, they're in, they don't have the knowledge of good and evil. He created them perfect, and he gave them one command in the negative, don't do this thing. The blame is placed squarely and solely on man. They acted against 
what God had ordained, regardless of the situation. But as I said, God knew that this was going to happen. It says that, behold, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13, 8. Okay, he is, it doesn't say behold, I think, I think it just says he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 8 says that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world, meaning that God knew that this would happen. And if it didn't happen, it would have happened eventually anyway, because it is natural for me. Think of you have a child and another child and another child. Eventually, fault is going to come in. Now you've got perfect beings and you've got imperfect beings and you've got more of a problem. He knew this was going to happen. This is the way that God planned it. He knew that. He did not cause it. He knew that it would occur. And that goes back to our salvation. He knew that we would choose. He didn't regenerate us in order to believe. We believe because we saw the good in him, and that's what we went after. Okay, this is something that is very important because you have to be very precise with these things. Well, go on. The blame is placed square, squarely and solely on man. The defect, as we perceive it, was a part of the very good in their creation, right? They were created very good at the end of the days. Creating a man with no knowledge of good and evil is called a defect by Aquinas. But we could re rename it a lack, just like the hole in the car right there. It's just a lack of something, okay? Just because there was a lack doesn't mean that there is anything wrong with it. When Adam and the woman acted against proper rule with this lack of knowledge, it resulted in fault or sin. Hi, how y'all doing tonight? Okay, so they acted with a lack of knowledge and it resulted in fault. It resulted in sin is what we would call it. When something faults, now not every time something faults, it's sin, okay? If you fault and there's no command against what you fault in, you can't be held as sin, right? If I'm, a, a, I don't know, I, mean, I, I fault all the time. I do something and it, it, there's no law against it, that would be a fault. Right. But I when it's something, I spilled something. Yeah, I spilled something. That's right. That's a defect. I'm not perfect. I spilled something, but there's no law against it. That's not sin. That's just me working within the confines of me being limited. If there is a law and I work against that with my will, and I'm talking about a law from the creator or even from the government, if I am within a stream of time and the government says don't do this and I act even innocently, then I have erred. Okay. Now I'm going to give you another example which may help with this. What is this? It's the Bible. It is the Word of God. Okay? All right. So, if the Bible is the Word of God, then its doctrines are perfect. They're true. That's right. We know that. We know that's correct. But people disagree on issues, don't they? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. People argue to the point where they call each other heretics over a non-heretical issue, but they have to be a specialist in everything, right? If the Bible is the Word of God, then its doctrines are perfect. But people disagree on the issues. For example, some say Jesus is God, and some people don't. Only one can be true. Actually, it's either Jesus is God or Jesus is not God. Um, uh, one can be true or, no, in this case, it's one or the other. But sometimes you can have one being true, both being not true, or a third option. This one, you don't have that. Anyway, people disagree on the issues. Only one of those can be true. Either Jesus is God or he is not God. However, our lack of knowledge in understanding what the Bible says and then teaching it inaccurately is sin, right? Job's witness comes in, and he hasn't been trained properly. He's got crummy theology. He believes that Jesus isn't God. That is sin. He is teaching it inaccurately, okay? But it's not God's fault, right? Is it God's fault that he's teaching incorrectly? No. It's exactly the same thing as what happened in the Garden of Eden. We have the instructions just like Adam did, 
right? We have the instructions. Therefore, evil can result from two good things. I want to teach the Bible. I have a Bible that tells that Jesus is God. I don't put in the proper study in order to teach proper theology, and I fault, okay? The defect of the action comes from the will, actually deficient. There are times where I've said things wrong in the pulpit. I know I have. I, I'm not perfect. I try my very best to never fault in my sermons, but I know that I have, okay? Why is that? I have a will to preach the Word of God. I desire to preach, preach the Word of God, and this is the perfect Word of God. But guess what? This is a version. This is one of countless versions, and if I'm reading this version, and it says these words, and another version says these words, either both of them are wrong or one of them is correct, but both are not correct, okay? Whose fault is that? It's the translator's fault because of the will deficient. He wants to be a translator, but he makes an error in translation. It always comes back to our free will wanting to do something, but not exercising it in accord with God's law. His stated so everybody see that okay now you can see how God is neither the tempter nor the author of evil this is much longer in the sermon go watch it and you'll get more than this the only way this could never happen is if God created never created any other beings because what he creates is necessarily less than what he is and therefore is deficient in some way that's what I was saying last week we will always be less than God always be less than God, and therefore we are deficient in some way. Now, here's my thought about this, because I, I emailed uh, Burke, I think it was on Wednesday, and I said, I got up at 12.15, I think it was, on uh, Wednesday, was it Wednesday? And I was up all night thinking about this. Oh. And so in the morning, I, uh, I, I sent him an email, and I said, the only thing I can think of, how will the not, and Sergio had a great thing. Let me see if I can find this before I give my, my thoughts on this. He had a great thought. And then we're going to get into Romans, but we are in Romans because it deals with what Paul will talk about. And when we talk about it, you're going to, uh, you're going to see, um, uh, let's see if I can find this really quickly. We've got to go, oh, there's a picture of them in Israel, my friends that I miss. Let's see um, I got to keep going. Prophecy update. I'll let you decide. Okay, um, let's see here. Um, he said something that was really, really outstanding. And uh, uh, hang on a minute here. And, uh, I wonder if this. Is, oh, I wonder if this would be a good summary to the discussion. I don't, don't want to get him in trouble because we didn't talk about it, and it's just a thought. Trespass in heaven will not be counted as sin because of Jesus. Just like on earth now, the difference will be no more corrupted body and its lusts, etc. But trespass is possible, so that could be possible. We are in Christ, and but take this to a further extreme now. Here's here's what I would say. This is what I was thinking about on this issue, and I haven't thought it through completely. But what law will there be in heaven? What law does the Bible say there will be in heaven? Well, that, that, we, we, well that, that's part of the law of Moses, and Jesus did repeat it, saying that's, that sums up the law and the prophets, but the law and the prophets are fulfilled in him, right? Okay? And I think that we will, because we're perfect, we will perfectly love, okay, in that sense. But my thought is, we've already gone down that road once. In the Garden of Eden, there was one law, and it was in the negative, right? Don't do this thing, okay? Is he going to do that again? Is he going to have a law that we could break? Because if there is, then we're going to be right back where we were before. Because it will happen. The will deficient will naturally follow that path eventually. Okay? I would say that we will not have a law that would cause us to sin. Jesus defeated that. He took care of the problem. 
and therefore everything that we need in heaven is fulfilled in Christ, and therefore there's nothing that will cause us to fault. That's just my thought on that. I don't want to go any deeper. You can give me your comments, Here's but I want my take. Okay, though, and again, I'm just be thinking over time probably here, but okay, you're in heaven, which is different than here. I have free will here. I'll have free will. We there. will have However, free will. That's the question. When I'm making my decisions here, I don't have counsel as close to me as I should. That's right, and I, I brought that up in a sermon just recently. Right. So, so we yeah. don't always have all the information, and right. so we're so if I'm you know in heaven and I'm sitting there going, well, gosh, I, should I do this or that? And I have counsel, good counsel, next to me, namely Jesus, just to be able to say, you know. Okay, that's that that could choice. be, but that's assuming that there's something that you could do wrong then. Well, would God put another spot in heaven that he did in the Garden of Eden? Would he do that? Would he put the possibility of us default well, in there? Well, if he didn't, wouldn't that imply that it was wrong huh? the first time? <laughs> oh. No, not at all. Right. Not at all. It wouldn't imply that at all because we just went through that. Right, right. But, but, but we've already gone through that is what I'm saying. It's already done. Okay. The Garden of Eden is already behind us. In order for us to appreciate a Redeemer, in order for us to fellowship with a Redeemer, and in all honesty, in order for us to have a Redeemer that came into the world, we needed to fall. Right. There would right. be no reason for Jesus to come and redeem us from our sins right. if we didn't fall. So this is God wanting to fellowship with his creatures, which he knows are going to err. Mm -hmm. When we're in heaven, he has that fellowship with his creatures. Right. And so why would there be a stumbling block put there? Not that the stumbling block in the Garden of Eden was anything that was put there for him. My reason for asking, though, is yeah. that if, if, if my inherent flaw, which is not being God. Right. That's not a flaw. Well, That's, it's a lack. It's a lack. If right. my lack is that, then... If there's nothing to point to my lack, that's right. Then you're not going then, to lack. Then, then, then you're, if you're uh, or you're not going to fault. I'm sorry. That's why the, getting into these words, you have to be very careful. But you're not going to fault if there's nothing to cause you right. to fault. Okay. And so that that's my thought on that is that we've already gone down that road once. It happened, and he knew that it would happen. Mm -hmm. Christ has come and taken care of that road completely and entirely. So why would there be anything in heaven that would cause us to fault again? Right. Why would that be the case? I That's just my thoughts. We can get into that deeper. If anybody has comments, write them down so I can think them through. Well, but If you could fault in heaven... When you have to have a redeemer? That's exactly right. And that's why we have, and that's why Sergio said what he did there, because Christ has already covered our trespasses. Mm -hmm. Okay? So th this, is all, this is all philosophical. Right, right, right. But my question isn't can we or can we not sin in heaven so much as why can't we sin in heaven? Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I want to know. Why can we not sin in heaven? Okay, right. it, 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 take it as an axiom that we're not going to be sinning in heaven. I would just say that that is something. But why? And that's what I want to know. And that's why after our discussion last week, I was really, really ready to think that through because I want to know the why of something. And if it has already been done, it's already behind us and Christ is taking care of the problem. Why would we have to face that again? I don't think we will. We are not God. We are limited and we can fault if there is a law which says don't do this thing. If there's not that law, then we're not going to fall. We we will perfectly love God because we will be like he is, and we will, as John 17, right? Is it John 17? Anyway, uh, no, 1 John. 3. 1 John 3. That's where it is. Okay. 
the answer is already in the Bible. And I just think that it is something that we will be protected from because God has already taken us down that path. Okay? Let's let's go on. If you have a question, write it down. Let's not go over this anymore because I don't want to fault. Okay. Okay. I don't want to fault. All right. Um, It it takes a lot of concentration to to do something like that. And especially when you're in a Bible class and you've got one person saying this and you've got another person over here saying and you've got all that coming at you. And I don't want to say something that is incorrect. Oh, go ahead. It's more about um, uh, what's his name? Your friend with table talk there. Oh, yeah, R.C. R.C. Sprawl, right. Is free will necessary to subscribe to Table Talk? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're regenerated in order to subscribe. Okay, that's, yeah, no doubt about it. That was a very good question. That was a good one. Life. What's that? In him was life. Life. And life was the light of man. And then he says we have eternal life. Eternal life. That's right. Two times in John 3. That's right. We have eternal life. And I don't dispute that. And if, if we can sin... This goes into the part in Romans, which is in the sermon. I address this in the sermon, so I don't want to go any deeper than this. But the question last week was, could Adam die? And some people said yes, and some people say no. And the answer is no, he could not. Sin entered the world through one man, right? Came through Adam, but it came through free will. He sinned, and that I'm sorry, death came through one man, and that through sin, I think is how he says it. Sin causes death. If Adam never sinned, then he would not have died. He would not have died. He would have lived forever. Because if you don't sin, the wages of sin is death. It implies that you will live forever. In Christ, we do not sin because he just quoted that verse, which is perfect verse to finish this up with. Because in him is the life. The life. And the light of men. Um, life was the light of men. Yeah. The life was the light of men. Okay? In him. And that's why if we are in him, that takes care of the problem. Everything is covered. We went down the path before. We're not going down that path again. Even though we're not God and we could fault, we will not fault because of Christ. Okay. Oh, yeah, we got open prayer now. That was, yes. I wanted to get those out of the way. And so let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We ask that you bless this uh, time ahead, which uh, we're already uh, 35 minutes through the class. But um, we thank you that uh, for the book of Romans. We thank you that we'll be going through it and uh, hopefully not faulting as we do. And uh, Lord, we certainly pray once again for Graham, who is just struggling and struggling and struggling over in Scotland. And he's a brother of ours that we care about, and we would pray that you would just be with him. And certainly there are many other prayer requests that have been emailed to me over the week ahead and at church last week. And uh, we want to just bring up them, them to you collectively, and you know who they are, and please tend to those people and their needs according to your wisdom. And once again, we commit this uh, service to you, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, good deal. Um, okay. Here we go. Romans 4, verse 11. 11. Okay. Uh, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. Okay, this one's a little different. It says the same thing, but, uh, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. So we talked about this in several different ways already, but a really important verse. He received the sign after the faith, okay? It was a sign of the faith that he had while uncircumcised that he might be the father of all those who believe. Anyone who believes in Christ, Abraham is the father of him, okay? Though they are uncircumcised. Paul is saying 
implicitly here, and he will bring it up explicitly in the book of uh, Galatians, that circumcision has no bearing on your salvation at all. Zero. And he's writing to the Gentile peoples, even though you were uncircumcised, because obviously he's been writing to the Jews as well, and they are circumcised, right? So obviously he's speaking to the Gentiles in this verse. He says, who believe though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be, and he said credited, the word here is imputed to them also. It means the same thing. It's credited to your account or imputation. When you have something imputed, we talked about that before. Is it imparted or is it imputed? If something is imparted, you have it, you possess it, and you can display it. If it's imputed, it means that you have it, you possess it, but maybe you can't display it. I was imputed Christ's righteousness, but I certainly don't display it all the time, do I? Right? Okay, so that's the difference between impartation and imputation, is that impartation means that you have it and you can exercise it. And we are not imparted Christ's righteousness at this time. I do believe we will be imparted it in its fullness in heaven, and that will take care of exactly what we've been talking about. Yes. Okay, so you see how this does bear on the book of Romans. It all ties together, but um, I, I just want to make sure that we don't get too far into that without me sitting and thinking it through, because if I say something and it's not correct, then I've got to go and recover the next week, and I don't want to have to do that. Well, but verse says that righteousness may be credited. credited. That's right, credited or imputed. That's right. It's credited to their account. So the previous verse reminded us of what Scripture proclaims, okay? Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised, long before. To ensure that the point could not be misunderstood, because I've had people misunderstand this, um, and I'm talking about my Jewish brethren, the people that I've tried to witness to, um, God made, waited many long years before giving him the sign of circumcision. This sign is a seal. It's a seal of the righteousness of the faith that he had while still uncircumcised. Now, what is the Holy Spirit called for us? What is he called? When we believe, we receive it. He is a deposit or a guarantee. He's like a seal of righteousness, yeah. right? So you just take the same thing. If I am uncircumcised and God gives me a sign of my righteousness, which is the Holy Spirit, did I receive the Holy Spirit by doing something, by doing deeds of the law, or did I receive it by faith, right? And Paul will make that argument in the book of Galatians. He's going to say, who bewitched you, O Galatians, right? He's going to ask them that question. It all bears on what he's saying right here. Galatians is just one of those books that we just have to get to before the rapture, so we're going to stay here all night. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just I, Everything Paul writes is it, it, it ties together with something else, and you have to take it as a whole. You can't pull things out of context like so many people will do, and I keep thinking of the Hebrew Roots movement people who just keep pulling things. They dismiss Paul, they go here, and then when that doesn't work, they go back to another thing, and oh, I've got one more thing that I want to say right now. <laughs> that reminds me. I'm going to say somebody's name right here. Stephen or Stephen McDonald. If you are online right now, hi, we love you, okay? There is a person that is online right now, or he was last week. He's a troll. He's telling people somebody sent me, they copied the entire because I don't see what happens online when I come back. Well, what I'm saying is, I mean, you have to be online. yeah, you have to be online. And when I get home, it's gone. Okay. This person is trolling these people. He's introducing doubts into their mind about the surety of Jesus Christ, fulfilling the law and that we are not under the Torah. It is fulfilled. It is annulled. It is obsolete. And then he started saying, which I don't care. He can say whatever he wants about me. He's saying, Charlie dismisses anybody that disagrees with him. 
I'm sitting here talking. I don't know these people. I don't see their comments. I don't know anything about them. All I know is that he was given my e email address. Somebody right there said, well, if you have a question, email him. He's never emailed me all week long, nothing, but he is a troll. And I would suggest that you do not even respond to this person or anybody that comes in and tries to say that you need to observe the law. We're going to get to Galatians someday in about 10 years, and you'll see that. If not, just go read it tonight. It'll take you 20 minutes to read the book of Galatians. You do not need to observe the law. I have a person that is going to designate some monitors on YouTube, and any of these trolls are going to be banned. They're not going to be there anymore. But if you are there, Stephen McDonald, you might as well go away right now. Because as far as I'm concerned, you are a heretic and you need to just go and learn about grace of Jesus Christ, okay? We'll go on. Um, they haven't been reading your Colossians. They haven't really. been reading the Colossians, you know, study. These people come on and they don't want to know the truth. What they, they are of the devil. Their father is the devil. And all they want to do is steal. All the devil wants to do is steal precious souls away from heaven. The grace of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will ever, ever, ever save a person. Amen. The grace of Christ. No works, no law, ever. He fulfilled the law. It is done. And if you see somebody on that YouTube, report them, and we'll get rid of them the next week or whenever we can. Because that kind of stuff goes nowhere with me. They can sit and they can watch these videos all they want. They can learn proper theology. But if they're going to go introducing heresies, heresies. They need to be out of there, okay? So thank you for having sent me that. Another person emailed me the next morning about it. So I had two or three people that were very concerned about this troll. That guy needs to go. Good. Okay, um, we'll go on. Uh, it, that was a good diversion, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. See, I don't know so these things. Like, I, don't, I don't hear from these people. Hey, what's his name? What? What's Stephen name? McDonald or Stephen. Stephen. Read it. Read this thing. <laughs> Try reading this, okay? Um, there you go. Anyway, um, uh, the sign did nothing. The sign did nothing further to justify him in God's sight. By this picture we derive from Scripture, we learn that it is God who defines the parameters and establishes the basis by which a person is declared righteous. God determines it, not us. He determined that Abraham was righteous. Before, and guess what? Abraham was what? After the law? Before. Long before the law. So much for their Torah observance. He was way before the law, okay? But then they make up things and they pull verses out of Scripture for that too. And they, don't play Scripture tennis with these people. Don't bother. Give them one time the right truth about Christ and about what it says here. And if they want to continue, just ignore them. Have nothing to do with them. As it says in, let me read you a verse from 1 John, because it still pertains to what we're talking about. It says, I'm sorry, uh, uh, 2 John. Um, uh, it says, um, verse 10, 2 John, verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. Why? For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Don't have anything to do with that person. Answer him once and be done with them. Okay, good. Um, so here we go. Um, God defines the parameters and establishes the basis by which a person is declared righteous. He did it in Abraham. Nothing changes. We are declared righteous the exact same way. And this is shown to be by faith, faith alone. When this faith is properly directed towards God's promises, meaning the work of the Messiah, we are counted as righteous. Done. When we put our faith in what Christ has done in fulfillment of the law of Moses, it is done. We are declared righteous, and it's done. So why would you fall back on the law when you're already declared righteous in the eyes of the law? Why would you do that? But that's what these people want you to do. They want you to, 
They're, they want you in their bondage. They want you to attend their church so that they can get your money and they can have you in bondage for the rest of their lives instead of living in the freedom of the grace of Jesus Christ. Why are grace churches usually half full? Is because people don't, they, they want to be in bondage. It's human nature to want to be in bondage. You go into these churches where you say you need to do this and you need to do that and people just soak it up. Why do you think that Jehovah's Witnesses churches are full of people? It's because they're scared and they think I've got to keep doing something in order to obtain God's favor. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why somebody would want to be in that type of a bondage. Anyway, I'm getting myself angry just thinking about it. Um, my ears are flaring. They're red and burning. Um, but that's not the devil's ears. That's mine. Okay. Um, so anyway, and this shows to be by faith alone. We're declared righteous, meaning in the work of the Messiah. We are counted as righteous. I'll tell you who knows grace and who prays grace as well as any person I know. That guy right in the back corner there. We go out in the projects. He's only here a couple months a year, but... No, no, you got that wrong. You always say that I'm here five months a year. <laughs> how long are you here? Doesn't about the grace about part. five months. How, how long did I just say? A couple months. That's... Well, yeah, that's a couple months. <laughs> five? Five isn't any more than uh, you're not here a whole half a year. You're okay. still a snowbird. Anyway, but that guy knows how to preach grace. When he, preach, when he, when he prays with people... It's always very simple. We are saved by grace and not through works. Amen. And the people don't have to. That, that's it. I mean, he's very clear when he says his prayers to these people. So we'll go on. Um, Abraham was made the type or pattern of the faithful that he might be, as it says, the father of all those who believe. There is no distinction made in us because there was none made in him. He simply believed God and received the blessedness of God. As this is the pattern then it is available to all, though they are uncircumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed to them also, according to Paul. Everybody got that? If the same pattern follows through, though we are uncircumcised by faith, we are imputed Christ's righteousness. We don't get it through deeds of the law. We don't lose it through not observing deeds of the law. It is granted to us, and it is ours. The sign came many years later, and it was a sign of what was already granted to him. And that's what we have here. You can't change what God has done. It's done. He's declared righteous. The sign is for something else. Okay. Um, now we'll get to that later. We'll get, yeah, not tonight, but we'll get to it in a, a sermon pretty soon. Um, okay. So this wondrous relationship with God is available to all. Jew and Gentile, male and female. It is open to any person of any culture, ethnicity, or race. No person is above another and no person is excluded when mere faith is exercised. That's why he's called the Christ of the nations, the Messiah of the Hebrews. It's one Lord. He's Lord over all. Okay, does anybody know what Messiah means here? Christ. What? The anointed one. And Christ means? Messiah. The anointed one. They're the same word. We don't need to speak Hebrew in order to understand the same word, Christ. So when a Jew hears the name Jesus Christ, you know what they think that is? Quite often they think it's his last name. Because we say Christians Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, a lot of Christians do too. But once a Jew realizes we're saying Jesus the Messiah by saying Jesus Christ, they have a new appreciation for that. I didn't know that. I talked to that guy uh, during college. I had to interview some people for one of my college things. I had to pick somebody from another religion, interview them, and do a report on it for one of my classes, right? I wanted to do the Jewish people. I didn't want to do a Buddhist or any of that. You know, I've lived over there. I've done that. So I wanted to 
interview a Jewish person. And none of the rabbis in town wanted to talk to me. But one of them gave me a person in his congregation, a Holocaust survivor. And he said, I want you to talk to him. And I did, he and his wife, wonderful people. And when I promised them, I said, if, if you will allow me to do this, I will not I will not say anything about my faith. I will leave that completely out. All I am here to do is to interview you about yours. And so they agreed. Actually, that was a condition. So when I went in there, I sneakily said, I'm done now. Do you have any questions for me? And that is when they found out that Jesus Christ isn't a last name. That is when they found out that the Trinity is not, which listen to what they believed. The Trinity is Father, Son, and Mary. Well, Mary, you was, that's, that's what they believe. Yeah, right? That's what they, and they had that in their head. And when they said, Holy Spirit, to completely change their attitude about Christianity that quickly. Okay. Now, I don't know if they ever converted to the Lord because they're old and they're stuck in their synagogue and everything. But they had some very, very important questions that they never had an answer to. But I didn't violate anything. I said, do you have any questions for me? Because I'm not here to tell you about my faith unless you want to know. And they asked several, and it were, they were like that. But that one was the big one. They thought that Mary was part of the oh, Trinity. Good. That's what. And of course, that's blasphemy, that's right? Of course, that is. So let's go on. What um, is Jesus' um, last name? What is Jesus' last name? Yeshua. Of Nazareth. Yeah, Yeshua. What I would say would be uh, Yeshua ben Yosef, which would be son of Joseph. But not literally. I'm just saying maybe that's what they called him or... Uh, uh, you know, but I thought maybe you had that. no, I, I don't have that. No, no, no last name for him. But uh, anyway, so um, he was probably known as Yeshua ben Yosef. Okay, son of Joseph. That's I, just a guess. I don't think the Bible even says it in any way, shape, or form. They did say somewhere that isn't this um, uh, Joseph's son, uh, the son of the carpenter. They said, and aren't these his brothers and sisters? But they don't say it specifically. So anyway, I am who I am. That's right. I am who I am. <laughs> That's right. Oh, okay. So um, let's see here. Uh, I said that, and then um, this is, uh, I'm going to read that last sentence again, just so everybody understands this. No person is above another. No person is excluded when mere faith is exercised. This, this is the heart of the gospel, and it is reflected in the words of John 3:16. right? For God so loved the world that whoever, black, white, pink, purple, whatever, you know, whoever, Believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I think I skipped something in there. Did. I did. Because I, I, I talked in the middle. That he, gave his that he gave his only begotten son. Thank you. That whoever believes in him. So that's what I get when I talk and I cut a verse in the middle. So that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever means just that. All who believe are granted the same inheritance. And because become Abraham's descendants adopted into God's family. Okay. Life application for you. A simple act of faith is all that is needed to change our eternal state. It doesn't matter who you are. If you have accepted Jesus as Lord, you have been declared righteous and stand justified before God. Paul's words here, whether these people like it or not, whether they like it or not, that is what the word says. We are declared righteous before God, okay? Don't let anyone steal your joy by telling you that more is needed. Your faith has healed you, O child of God. Okay, good stuff. Oh, wait, do I have more words there? Go ahead, verse uh, 12. 12. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who do not, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham 
had before he was circumcised. Okay, very close. I'm not even going to bother with it. Little, little different terminology, but very close. So um, the previous verse, 11, that we just did, showed that Abraham was the father of all who believe, though they are uncircumcised. This shows that likewise, Abraham is the father of the circumcision. This is an abstract term, circumcision. Yours, yours doesn't say circumcision, does it? Oh, circumcised. Okay. Circumcised. Okay, uh, the circumcision is actually what it would say. But anyway, it's an abstract term for the concrete principle, similar to saying he is the father of the modern jet airplane. Okay, you're using an abstract to make a... Uh, okay, however, Paul includes a caveat concerning those circumcised people. It is those who are not only of the circumcision... But who also, read it again. Walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before right. he was circumcised. Right. Okay. So you see, there's a caveat for the Jewish people. They are, of the, they are sons of Abraham if they are circumcised, but only if they walk in the footsteps mm -hmm. of Abraham. Whereas the Gentiles, all, if they are in Christ, that means they already followed in the footsteps of Abraham. So they're done. He doesn't need to go any further with that. We are declared righteous by faith. But Jews have to meet certain qualifications. Just because they're circumcised does not mean that they are Abraham's sons of faith. Okay? They may be of his literal genealogy, his literal physical descent, but they are not sons of Abraham as Paul is referring to them. That's an important caveat there. It says, um, uh, let's see here, it is those who are not only who are not only of the circumcision, but also walk in the steps of faith. Being circumcised but lacking faith has already been addressed, and then it was supported by Paul's inclusion of David's quotes. We went through that a, a couple weeks ago, all right, from the Hebrew Scriptures. In order to further substantiate it, Paul pulls out a word for walk, where it says here, walk in the steps of Abraham, which is only used a few times in the entire New Testament. It's uh, stoichusen. This word finds uh, uh, other uses in secular Greek writings to indicate the concept of military order, okay? There's the idea of keeping rank or walking in step with that of a leader. In other words, those who are of the circumcision cannot claim any special participation with Abraham unless they walk in the manner of Abraham. Think of Abraham marching in a, a battle array with all of the family of God and the Jew is over there, and he's circumcised, but he's walking. You know, you're, you see people march left, right, left, right. They do that for a reason. And this guy's walking right, left, right, left, and you're stepping on other people's toes, right? Hebrew Roots Movement, that guy on YouTube right now, okay? There has to be a walk in accord with Abraham in order to be a son of Abraham. Think of that picture, and that'll help you out there, okay? So, um, uh, shown to be a walk of faith. Other Jewish writings designate Abraham the head of those who are the circumcised or the head to them that are circumcised. These are other Jewish writings. However, Paul calls him the father of circumcision. The difference is immense. The first indicates a relationship is contingent on circumcision, but the second indicates that true circumcision is contingent on faith. The Jews got it completely backwards. I'm circumcised, therefore I am righteous. Okay? They got it backwards. Because I could go circumcise my own son if I had one tomorrow, and he wouldn't be any more, he's not a Jew, but he's circumcised, so I could say, well, he's circumcised, therefore he is righteous. They've got it completely backwards. Completely. Okay? So, what this means, and is of the highest concern for those who are circumcised, is that in order to be saved, the Jews must come under Abraham's covenant of faith 
which was while he was still uncircumcised, not the other way around. The entire concept of circumcision had been turned upside down by those who bore the sign, as it is to this day. Unfortunately, this is still the case in Christianity as well today. Far too many sects and denominations insert the law where it does not belong by imposing its restrictions on those who have been freed from them. All you're doing is going back to bondage. That's Paul calls it bondage, B-O-N-D-A-G-E, bondage, going back to the law. The sign of the saved Christian is an internal one. It's not by external deeds, it's by being internal. It is the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Attempting to add to that can only bring in an unhappy set of consequences and a life of walking in uncertainty. As I said, people get into this bondage and they're in these churches and they're worried all the time, am I doing enough? Have I pleased God? If you don't believe me, we're going through the law now and we're gonna get through the sacrifices in a few weeks. 16, probably another four, five, six weeks. And then when we get through the sacrifices, guess what we're going to start getting into? We're going to start getting into the laws and commandments that they are required to do. And you want a burden on your life? You want a burden that you can... Every time I read Leviticus after chapter 16, I, I get miserable. I literally get miserable thinking, I wonder if I did that today. I wonder, you know, and then I have to remind myself I'm not under this. But just reading the law, just reading it is enough to make you neurotic. All the things that God finds displeasing to the people under the law. Thank God for Jesus who got us out of under all of that. I mean, your house has got mildew, right? This and that and one thing and another, everything in there. And you think, ah, ah, of course these people must have been neurotic. They go down to the temple every day and sacrifice a ram because they've done something wrong, right? I would. I'd be, I'd be miserable. Thank God for Jesus. Oh, okay. So anyway, um, where was I imposing restrictions? Yeah, unhappy consequences. In the same way, some believers, uh, some believe they are saved through their denomination. Anybody know some of those? I do. I'm saved because I'm a Catholic. I've got people that will literally write to me and they'll say, well, I'm in the Catholic Church. I don't want to leave it because that's where my hope is. I think, can you imagine that? I'm saved through my denomination, and that others are excluded. Oh yeah, there you go, you see it all the time, don't you? Just one comment, their hope is in the church. That's right, in the church. And That's the scary part, right? Not, that, and not in Christ. They believe in Jesus. That's right. And But it's... It's secondary. The church is preeminent. That's right, and that is so sad, but that's what they believe, and they believe that others are excluded. That's what Mel Gibson, I remember him saying this about the time of the Passion. He said, that comes right from the chair, meaning the Pope. He said, you have to be in the Catholic Church to be saved. He said that right on video about the time of the Passion. He believes that so firmly that I have to be a Catholic in order to be saved. And he said, I didn't say it, that comes from the chair. And I thought, how sad, how absolutely sad. I'd love to have... Mel Gibson walking down the beach someday and I'm sitting there just doing nothing and I see him walk by and say, can I tell you about Jesus? I'd love to. The guy has a passion, obviously. It's misdirected. The church isn't going to save anybody. As a matter of fact, it does just the opposite to a lot of people. All right, so they think others are excluded or they may believe that baptism is a saving grace comparable to the Jews' belief in the effectiveness of circumcision. Church of Christ. Got to be baptized in the Church of Christ in order to be saved, right? Acts 2.38. Got to do it. Has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing. Baptism has nothing to do with salvation. 
except the fact that it's a picture of your salvation. But once again, we will, we're not going to do it today, but we will go through how you can know that Acts is a prescriptive book. We went through that. It took us, what, two years, three years, three years to get through Acts. And unfortunately, none of them were recorded. But when you got through that, you would understand the depth of the book of Acts and the marvel of the book of it wasn't it a great oh, a great, great book. book maybe we should go back and do that yeah, again yeah. so that it's recorded because it was what a book to start a church with wow and, all your people that burn max potatoes oh yeah they burn max Licato's books he's church of christ that's right um okay so um uh, baptism is a saving grace comparable to the effectiveness of circumcision however both of these ideas denomination and baptism are dispelled when one understands that it is faith and faith alone, which restores us to God. We too must come under the covenant of the faith of Abraham. That's it. Must come under the covenant of the faith of Abraham. Life application. And yes, we have time for another one. Was there a time? Was there a time when you called on Jesus Christ as Lord by simple faith? Everybody in here? Any hands not coming up? I did. Was there a time? If there wasn't a time when you called on him by faith alone, you are not saved. I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care what church you belong to. None of that matters. It deadly. But if, I've always been a Christian. But I've always been a Christian. Yeah, I was raised in a Christian family. Mom mom was a Christian. I'm a Christian. I thought that for years. I thought that for years. What, that your mom was a Christian? No, that uh, I, I, I was a Christian because I went to a Christian church and mom was a Christian. Yeah, but I did think that mom was a Christian. And then I found out later she wasn't until she became a Christian. So, very odd. Oh, okay, so, if so, if so, then remember that, that you were saved by faith and move, move back to that, return to it, okay? Live in it, revel in it. If you've been adding external requirements to it and have wondered why your walk is a meandering one, then reevaluate your walk. If someone is teaching you, if someone is teaching you to follow certain dietary requirements, certain days of church attendance, etc., then you are only harming your walk of faith. Look to Jesus and what he already did, and then glory in that. Hebrews 4:3, in him we rest. The Sabbath is done. We are not Sabbatarians. Okay? It's done. Done. 4:13. Go ahead. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Kind of the same, but they write it backwards. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. They just took the first clause and kind of turned it backwards, but same thing. Okay, the words for the promise are being introduced to show that what was promised to Abraham, both explicitly and implicitly are to be offset from the notion that the law had any bearing at all, any bearing at all on his righteousness. When taken in context of the times and the circumstances, nobody with right thinking could come to any other conclusion. If you read that verse and you come to any other conclusion, you are not thinking rightly. So I hope that guy is still listening. If he is, I hope he's been banned so he can't comment, but I hope he's still listening. You are not thinking clearly if you read that verse and you come to any other conclusion. Well, it's not through the law. It's just blares. <laughs> right. Oh, it just blares out like a resounding trumpet. Abraham was given the promise and declared righteous in Genesis 15. I've gone through this. I could say it a million times. From that time until the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, it was 430 years. This is seen in Exodus 12, 40, and 41. Let me read that to you, just so that we'll, we'll do that right now. Exodus 12, 
40 and 41. Oops, way, way too far, Charlie. Okay, here, 12, 40. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. It doesn't say that they were in Egypt for 430 years. It says, now the sojourn of the children who lived in Egypt. They lived in Egypt for 215 years. We went through that in the sermons. If you don't know, follow those sermons. And I give every single year, every single year, all the way through, you know, from the creation of the world, every year that we are in, when we change year, I always state it in those sermons, okay? So 430 years on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt, okay? 430 years. And how do we know that? Well, we can go to the book of Galatians, and it's chapter 3, maybe 4, and it says there, Galatians, hang on, give me one second to get there, and it says that uh, verse 17 of chapter 3, and I say this, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. The promise to Abraham, 430 years earlier, 430 years to the day, out comes the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, okay? So, 430 years, where was I? Um, uh, this is seen in the dating in these verses is speaking of 430 years from the promise to Abraham until the Exodus, not the amount of time the Israelites dwelt in Egypt. Understanding this, we can now evaluate the word promise. There are two English words which are used to translate it. One is um, actually two Greek words. I said English, but I got to change that. Anyway, one is hypostasis and the other is epingalia. The first one is used when a condition is involved. The second is used when the promise is an unconditional one. It is the second one, epingalia, that Paul uses here. Unconditional. Therefore, the promise involves no act to which could merit to which merit could be counted it is an act of grace alone okay so he could have used a different word he didn't there's a reason why is because you can't add to grace merit cannot be added to grace if it is it ain't grace right grace is getting what you don't deserve if i've done something to receive it then i didn't get grace last page of the bible last sentence of the bible the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Right? Grace. You can't earn it. I wish people could get that. Next is the thought of the promise. As Paul says, that he would be heir of the world. An heir is one who inherits something, such as an estate, right? You're going to inherit something. This is not a promise that was made specifically to Abraham. It's not recorded that way. The promises to him included giving to him and his descendants the land of Canaan, making him a great nation that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed, that his descendants would be a multitude, as the dust of the earth and as the stars of the sky, and that he would be the father of many nations. Those are explicit promises made to Abraham in the Bible. The promise that he would be heir of the world must be inferred from these other promises, and which then would point directly to Christ, the Messiah, who would issue from him. He would be heir of the world through Christ. To understand this, Paul says, or to his seed through the law. The word seed is translated from one of three words in the New Testament. The one used here is spermati, okay? In almost every one of its 44 uses, it is speaking specifically of descendants, such as is the case here. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. He is the one, this, um, Jesus, the seed of Abraham, is the one this part of the inheritance is speaking of. Okay, all of those promises were made. Paul uses a general to lump them all together and say this is coming through Christ. 
through the Messiah. This is explicitly noted in Galatians 3, verses 16 through 18, which leads up to what I just read you. Go back to Galatians again. Galatians 3, and verse, I'll start with 15 as a chapter or a paragraph. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Okay? Verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. We'll go on. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. He's talking about the law of Moses. 430 years later, it cannot annul what was given to Abraham. Abraham was given a promise by faith. The law is introduced. The law must therefore serve another purpose. It cannot annul what was given to Abraham. By faith, he was declared righteous. We are Abraham's descendants by faith, and therefore the law must have had some other purpose. And it's got about 15 of them, which I've listed before, to show us how utterly sinful sin is to God, to lead us to our understanding that we desperately need something other than our own deeds in order to be saved. It's a tutor, a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. And on and on, the law gives us as to why it was given, but it can't save anybody, and it cannot annul what was done in Abraham 430 years later. Verse 18, for if the inheritance is of the law, which came 430 years later, it's no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham as a promise. And if that's the case, and God doesn't change, then by grace through faith will always be the way of people being saved. The law never saved a single person, not one. Not one person under the law was saved by one deed of the law, ever. It was, they continued on year by year by the Day of Atonement. They were forgiven of their sins, withholding the wrath on their transgressions until Christ would come and fulfill all of those things. They look forward to Christ, we look back on him, we're saved by the same faith. If you were not faithful in anticipating Christ, you were not saved back then. Your sacrifices you brought down to the temple meant nothing. Okay, we'll talk about that. I think this Sunday we'll talk about that. Anyway, um, to sum this up for us as believers in Christ Jesus, Paul finishes with, but through the righteousness of faith. The promise to Abraham and his seed comes only through the righteousness of faith. The law has no part in it for us. That's what he said in verse 18 of Galatians 3. It was promised prior to the law, and Jesus, who was born under the law, fulfilled the law on our behalf. Hence, he said what on the cross? I've almost got it done. Finished. It's finished. It's done. It is finished. To tell us die. Paid in full. The debt is paid. Okay? Satan is taken out of the way. He no longer has any control over a person that puts their faith in what Christ did on that cross. No control at all. He can afflict us all day long, can he? Mm -hmm. But he cannot control us, and we will never be back under that guy again, ever. Okay? The law has no part in it. It was promised prior to the law, and Jesus fulfilled it. Therefore, by faith in him, not deeds of the law, we are justified before God. little life application. We can do one more, and we'll be done, I think. The Bible is a complex book, isn't it? It's a very complex book. We were talking about something from 1 Kings 6. He sent me an email today, and I said, oh, I, I want to check that out. And then I got in there, and I got to 2 Chronicles 4, and then I got to uh, um, 1 Chronicles 24. We had all kinds of things going on out of one verse about a door in the temple in Jerusalem and things that I'd never thought of. And so it, it was a great thing. We're still thinking about it right now. Well, Just, okay. So you look at a tapestry and all the <coughs> intricate stuff, and yes, 
that's like amazingly intricate. However, yep. the picture on the outside. The, and that's my next point. What he just said, listen to this. He picked up before I said it, which he always <laughs> does. It says, or he does that sometimes too. The Bible is a complex book, but its message is simple. It's written all over, yes. all over, all the way through it. Every thread of the tapestry says this message, and the whole thing comes out with this one message. It's very, very simple. Have faith in God and his promises, which means have faith in the law, right? Jesus. In Jesus. Forget the law. You have faith in Jesus. Our continued exploration of the word should always bear this in mind. If so, then we'll never get off base as we plumb the depths of its treasures. Have faith in Jesus. When you're reading the Old Testament, say, I don't understand why this is here. How does this point to Jesus? And all of a sudden, it'll start opening up. I, I, I love to think about those Jonah sermons. I started into those sermons, and I had no idea why they were there. Never studied it before. I'd read it a few times. I'd done a couple old sermons on it, you know, just kind of cheesy stuff. And uh, I, I decide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at that. And how does this point to Jesus? The whole thing. The whole thing points to him in detail. Oh, unbelievable. Verse 414. Go ahead. 414. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless. Okay. For if those who are of the law are heirs of the law, he's talking about the Jews living under the law from the time of the giving of the law at Sinai all the way up until his time, his present time. If those who are of the law are heirs, okay, faith, Abraham was declared righteous by faith faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect the promise is no good if that is the case if you are are an heir of God through observing the law then what was done in the promise of Abraham is no effect okay this statement is so obvious it's so obvious and yet it's so powerful that it should be posted as a banner at the doorway to houses of worship around the world okay for is used here to say indeed all right for he could just change it to say indeed or surely it is stressing the truth of what is coming for if those who are of the law are heirs the first thing to note is that there is no definite article before the word law in the Greek okay for if those who are of law are heirs whatever law Whatever law, natural law, mosaic law, any one of them is hinted at. If someone who is living under law is an heir of Abraham, H-E-I-R, not, yeah, an heir of Abraham, then the very thing that caused Abraham to be declared righteous, which is faith, is made void, and the promise is no effect. People say, oh, there are many paths to God. Well, if that's true, then what God said to Abraham has no bearing at all, none. If the law that you live under, Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim, go blow yourself up, whatever. If that is of effect, then the promise to Abraham is of no effect. Whatever law, okay? So, if someone who is living under the law is an heir, I said that, the promise would then be inoperative. It could never be fulfilled. Grace, which is sought for by work, isn't grace, Right? You, you try to work your way to God, and God says, I'm giving it to you by grace. All you're doing is offending the giver. That's all you're doing. You're offending him because it says, I've already done it. I've already declared you righteous. But I want to add to that. It doesn't work. You can't add to grace. Okay? Anything beyond faith is a work. And faith is not a work. We saw that in uh, chapter 3, verse what? Um, uh, 
Uh, yeah, we no way. I can't remember which verse that was. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. That's not the verse I wanted. But anyway, we talked about in chapter three is that faith is not a work. Faith cannot be counted as a work. It has no bearing on being a work. Okay, so um, where is that? Grace is sought for by work isn't grace. Anything beyond faith is a work, and therefore grace could never be bestowed upon a person who is seeking righteousness by the law. So if a person is an heir who is doing works of the law, then faith is made void. That's what he's, it's a very logical argument. It's just so simple. The importance of this is immense because both Jews living under the law and Christians who mandate any given aspect of the law, such as no pork, be circumcised, you got to tithe, whatever, are in essence saying that God's promise to Abraham is of no effect. If you add in something from the Old Testament, the Torah, the law, you're saying that the, God's promise was of no effect at all, none. What he said to him, we might as well just scratch that sentence out of the Bible because it has no effect at all. They are basically hinting that the entire premise of the Bible, God's word to us is faulty. There's a fault in God's word because you've got to earn what he's already said I've given you. God's word, which states that we are saved by grace through faith, is either true or it is false. If it is true, then attempting to obtain grace in any other way can only lead to not receiving that grace at all, okay? Now, before I give you my life application on this verse, I will say that somebody emailed me um, uh, about last week, yeah, last week, and uh, she said that uh, she was watching a person preaching on tithing or mentioning tithing during a sermon. And this pastor said, well, I believe in the law of original I can't remember how they termed it, but in other words, you have tithing, which is mandated in Leviticus through uh, Deuteronomy, right? He says, I believe in original. There was a term that that she emailed to me, and I wish I could remember. I could get the message right now and read it to you, but um, it would be like original submission. I, I don't think that's the word she used, but original submission. Now, I've seen this before, and I knew this. Even before I uh, emailed back, I knew what the... Uh, what this was speaking of. What would a person be speaking of if tithing is a part of the law, and we know that the law is fulfilled in Christ, but you want your people to tithe, right? Right. Well, how are you going to get them to tithe if you know that you can't say it's part of the law of Moses? Original submission. Where are you going to go to tell your people they need to tithe? You go to Melchizedek. Melchizedek. That's right, because Abraham gave him a tenth of all. Well, if you are going to use that as a prescriptive verse, which it's not, it's descriptive. It just simply says what he did. It doesn't prescribe anything. It doesn't mandate anything. It never says that Isaac did that. It never says that Jacob did that, although Jacob did say, I will give a tenth of all I have. But once again, that's descriptive, and it never records that he did that. All it says is, I promise I'll do that. Never says anywhere else that he fulfilled that or anything else. Okay, if you're going to go by that, then why don't you go every time you meet your brother that you haven't seen for several years, send him half of all of your possessions, right? Because isn't that what uh, Isaac or Jacob did when he met his brother, right? If you're going to use original submission of a precept from the Old Testament, like Melchizedek, you're going to have to mandate that with every single one of those precepts that comes up. And there are thousands of them. There, that you he would only be, did it once. He only did it once? That's right. 
You see your brother that you haven't seen in many years. I want you to send him. And that's what I want you to tell a preacher that tells you that he believes in original, original submission. Well, then I expect you to give half of everything you own to the brother or sister that you haven't seen in a long, long time because that's what he did. Right. Or, you know, I tell you, I've had another one. What are we supposed to do with our brother when he shows up from uh, Dothan? Throw him in a pit, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous what people will do in order to put their people into bondage. To say, you need to tithe. But they know that tithing is actually only once every three years because they've actually read the book of Deuteronomy. They say, I can't tell my people that. Well, what am I going to do? Then you fall back. You don't even touch that because if they find that out, then they're going to be upset at you. So you just fall back to original submission and say you have to do it because of Melchizedek. You see how corrupt the human heart is? Yes. How absolutely corrupt the human heart is that you are willing to do that to another person so that you will profit. Don't do that. Let that kind of stuff go. Yes. Um, 15. 15. You should at least read. We will. We've got five more minutes. I'm yes. going to read you a life application, and then we're going to do... We can't. Wow. It's too long. It's a whole page. Wow. Anyway, I'm going to read you a life application. We'll read the verse. Yes, it, because it's full circle, what we did today. Okay, full circle. We're not going to give the analysis, though, because it's just no, too it's, long. But hang on. Life application. Stand on biblical truth that grace is grace. It is unmerited favor bestowed upon us by simply believing that God has it all under control and has accomplished the work for us through Jesus. Don't add to this. Right. Don't do it lest you be found to have fallen short of his immeasurable gift, which is what Paul calls it in what Romans 7. It's an immeasurable gift. Thank be, thanks be to God for his unspeakable, unspeakable gift, immeasurable, beyond comprehension what he has done through Jesus Christ. Don't tread on that. Accept it and then teach it to other people. Go ahead and read the verse and then we'll be done. Okay. Because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Perfect. Perhaps it's heaven? Yeah, perhaps heaven. <laughs> the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Perfect. That's exactly what we were talking about. I said that this, what I talked about at the beginning of the class actually bears on Romans, and there it is. Yeah, and he's going to get into that in detail later. But that is exactly right. If there is no law, there can be no transgression. And if there is a law, I hate to say that there will be transgression because there is always the possibility for us to fall. Always. You know, now in our glorified body, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't want to make irrational suppositions that we can't defend because the Bible doesn't talk about it. But because you brought us full circle, why don't you pray us out of here? I can do that. Lord Jesus, thank you much for this day, this word, and um, its uh, intricacy, which just makes it more foundational, yet the simple message, which is just your son, Jesus, for us, and it's the salvation. How easy it is, and how complicated we like to make it, it just don't work. And Lord, um, we, um, we pray for um, all our brothers and sisters who are ill and uh, suffering in some way or form, and uh, Lord, we just know that your will is perfect, but um, it's going to be fallen here no matter what we do, and Lord, just so long as we know you, your son, and that path, we uh, perfection waiting for us in here. Lord, um, just be with us all as we go about our the rest of our week and uh, this upcoming weekend, and just may we uh, be lights uh, to the unknowing and uh, just be Christian. Uh, mm. Be different with 
you in our hearts. And Lord, just we pray on this to your son's holy name, Jesus. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me back this baby up. Oh. All right, say goodbye to uh, Stephen. Okay. Yeah, say goodbye to Stephen. All right, let's see here. We're going to go to um, break. Sergio beat me. He beat me. He was backing it up before I did. Okay, we love you guys. Have a great week. See you later. Okay, we're going to push that, and I'm going to push that. I mean, some people, you know, that's a couple months. Cool. I got to get that. He makes it sound like maybe I'm here. Maybe I got out once in a while. Good night, everybody. Doctor and Mabel, thank you so much. Have a great evening, you guys. She's she's gonna freak. Don't bring any refreshments. Okay, so you will do that. Okay. All right. Yes, sir. This chronology that you're talking about from Abraham, where is that? Is that in Exodus 12 that you had? That was Exodus 12 that says the 430 years.